What do you think about in the midst of a crisis shooting the price up like that? If you're out there trying to get as far and wide coverage for people and you watch the price escalate, it feels really predatory. To inject, place black end against outer thigh. We wanted to know how prices for life-saving drugs get raised up to scandalous levels in the middle of the opioid crisis. You jack the price from the 575 Leslie, I, to $4,000. $4,000. So Leslie, Leslie. What? Tim Green was a fearsome defender in the NFL who became a best-selling author. But he's on 60 Minutes tonight to reveal a secret he can no longer hide. He has ALS, or Lou Gehrig's disease. Yeah. We first interviewed Green in 1996, and he seemed to believe this day might come. You said, I think guys would be willing to take 10, 20 years off the end of their lives in order to get out there on Sunday and play. I don't think that the, the consideration of your physical well-being in the future is in the forefront of any NFL player's mind. I stand by that. You don't have any regrets. Oh. Oh. I'm Steve Croft. I'm Leslie Stahl. I'm Scott Pelley. I'm Anderson Cooper. I'm Bill Whitaker. Those stories tonight on 60 Minutes. What's your next adventure? Everyone deserves a chance to do what they love. Pacific Life helps you reach financial goals while you go after your personal ones. Plans change over time, and your financial solutions can too. Pacific Life has a variety of financial solutions that can help you complement your life goals and passions while managing the uncertainties. Backed by more than 150 years of experience, you can count on Pacific Life to be there so you can go out and keep living your best life. Pacific Life is one of the most dependable and experienced insurers in the industry and has been named one of the 2019 World's Most Ethical Companies by the Ethisphere Institute. The freedom to go after whatever is next for you, that's the power of Pacific. Ask a financial professional about how Pacific Life can help give you the freedom to do what you love. Or visit www.pacificlife.com. In 1971, almost half a century ago, emergency rooms started reversing opioid overdoses using a medicine called naloxone. It's generic today, and industry insiders told us it can cost as little as a nickel a dose to produce. In April, in response to the national opioid crisis, the U.S. Surgeon General came out with an advisory calling on more Americans to carry naloxone, elderly patients on painkillers bartenders and librarians, mothers with addicted children, and children with addicted mothers. But making naloxone accessible, getting it to those who need it, is complicated. Jennifer Plum, an emergency room pediatrician in Salt Lake City, says naloxone is a miracle drug. Understand, this stuff is really good at what it does. It has one job, can't get high on it, can't overdose on it, can't relieve pain with it, you can just save a life with it. I mean, how amazing is that? Does it really bring people back from death? It really does. And it is black and white. It is someone, hey, 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 talk to me, talk to me. No response to up and alert and talking to you. Come on. No, I'm serious. It is legitimately the most 
almost surreal thing because not much in medicine, not much in life does that. You can see it through police body cams. This woman in the back of a Salt Lake City PD squad car isn't breathing. The officer sprays naloxone up her nose with a device called Narcan, provided to first responders at nearly half price. Stay with me. Watch it take effect. There you go, there you go, there you go. Another case, a young man found on a sidewalk completely unresponsive. Officers administer naloxone. They only need to wait a few seconds. You're, you're, you're okay. You're okay. It's all right. Out with firefighters in Salt Lake City one cold night, we learn that most of the department's emergency calls are not fire-related, but medical. Utah, conservative Utah, is among the top 10 states in the country for opioid overdose deaths, averaging a funeral a day. We're going to give a little naloxone to see if you get any effect. They're trying to save a man found lifeless in a park, cause unknown. So it very well could have been an overdose, but nobody saw him do it. So Blake, two milligrams in narcotics. So how much time do you have? About six minutes. How can you get to someone across town in six minutes? It's hard. Mike Fox is the fire department's medical chief. We, on average, give naloxone about two times a day on calls. A day? A day, in Salt Lake City proper. It's one of our largest expenditures every year. Would you say it's a strain on your budget? As we see more and more overdoses, it does affect our budgets. Did you have to persuade any of the other firefighters that this wasn't, in a way, encouraging more addictions? And we also hear that you save someone's life and the next day they're right back at it. They are. This is a disease and it's a difficult disease to kick. So if we have to save someone's life three or four times, five times, it doesn't matter to me. So people are overdosing repeatedly. Nobody wants to overdose. It's not our job to judge. It's our job to save lives. And the medication will save lives. It's not a fix, right? It doesn't fix the opioid epidemic. It doesn't fix the addiction, right? This is merely giving someone a chance. Still pulseless, still asystole. In this case, they got to the man too late. Okay. Let's, uh, let's terminate our resuscitation efforts at this time. Since speed is essential, Nearly all states have now made it legal for anyone to carry and administer naloxone, like these two good Samaritans injecting a stranger. By the time emergency responders show up, the woman has already come to. Dr. Plum runs a program called Utah Naloxone to hand out these emergency kits to anyone with two vials of naloxone and two syringes. You go into the worst parts of town. Sure, sometimes. Into sex houses. You sure. go into homeless shelters. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, excuse me, do you, have, you want a lockstone? Patrick Rizak, a former drug addict, is part of a network that has helped Dr. Plum hand out more than 36,000 kits for free, some on the roughest streets of Salt Lake City in an area called Rio Grande. You got money? We have naloxone. We have naloxone. You guys need naloxone? Our goal would be to have everybody have one of these. And so we just ask people if they have heard of naloxone, if they need naloxone. So you take the top off, okay? And you're gonna put the needle in the liquid, yep, and you pull it back, uh-huh. all right? And put it straight in the thigh, boom. 
Right there. Yep, right there. Through right the shoulder. Through the clothes. Doesn't matter. Dr. Plum's brother, Sam, co-founded Utah Naloxone. You got two doses and you got two syringes. Just put them right in a big muscle. No Pulp Fiction, not in the heart. What if you come upon someone and they're on the ground? Yeah. And you think it's an overdose, yeah. but it's really a heart attack. And yeah. you give them this. You won't help them, but you won't hurt them. Same thing for diabetes, same thing for head injuries, same things for strokes. How did you get interested in this? Yeah. You're a pediatric doctor, uh -huh. work in the ER. Yeah, you know, unfortunately, my family went through dealing with addiction in our family. 1996, we lost my brother Andy to a heroin overdose. In his situation, if naloxone had been there, right, would he have been saved? I do think... At least in that one night when we lost him, if naloxone would have been there, I do think he would have had another chance that night. And that was a big motivator. And you I, give it up free. Absolutely free. Absolutely free. Always will be. So how do you get it? <sighs> we purchase it. We, we get grant money and we have... Grant money. Yeah, we get grant funds. People on the street, and I'm including law enforcement, think, why do we have to expend money and extra energy when you're just doing it to yourself? Right. You know, I have had the unfortunate experience of losing my dad to cancer and my brother to addiction. And I will tell you, these are both chronic and relapsing conditions, right? If your cancer relapses, you get everything. You get support from your community. You have teams of physicians that sit down and say, all right, we're going to find the next step for you. But you look at my brother's addiction a chronic relapsing condition, and when he would relapse, and I will own that I did it too, that there was this very much this, hmm, mm. all those tools, all that time, all that money. And you went right back And you it. went right back, and you relapsed. It's going to go into the thigh or into the shoulder. Dr. Plum's team also goes into private homes in the suburbs to train people, like the Keach family. Dad, Mom, Grandma, and Ashley, an addict five weeks clean. If she relapses now, Ashley is likelier to OD due to lower tolerance. So they want to learn how to use naloxone at home. All except Ashley. She already knows how to use it. I've used it twice on people and brought them back. Now, were you, uh, were you high? Mm-hmm. And yeah, you still could do it? Yeah. Ashley, when did you start and how did you start? When I was 19, um, I started on Oxycontin, um, switched over to heroin because you couldn't get the other anymore. Ashley was a hardcore drug addict for 10 years. After many failed attempts to get clean, her parents told her they couldn't take it anymore and she ended up homeless in the slums of Rio Grande. This is where Ashley was. Yeah, Ashley was down here for a year. And you, you used to see her here. Yeah, we used to try to put her in motel rooms for the night when I could. What, and, what uh, shape was she in when you saw her? Well, you saw her today. Imagine her 50 pounds lighter. 50 with, pounds lighter? Yeah, with sores, and she was not in good shape. She was barely recognizable. Her grandmother often went looking for her with food and offers of a comfortable place to sleep. She was skin and bones. And she told me that how hard it was to be on heroin and how awful it was and to be addicted to it. For the last 10 years, especially through her rough times, we knew that it was either going to march away or your jail 
You're always waiting for that call. Mm. It's going to be the jail or the morgue or the police. I had a mother tell me that when it's the jail, she's relieved. Yes. I am. We were so happy. I was thrilled she went to jail. At least she's off the street and she's safe. So you went down into the homeless areas and... I would take her food. She went and stayed. I, I mean, she went and stayed with her. You stayed? Where? Yeah. On the street? Yeah. Last summer. Your mother went and I know. <laughs> I asked her, hey, I want to come understand. And I hadn't seen her that much. And I just wanted to be with her. And I just wanted to try to understand the disease more. And so I said, can I come hang out with you, basically? And gave her the choice because, you know, does she want me to see her at her worst? So she said, yeah, you can come hang out. So I went and met her and her boyfriend. And within 30 seconds, they were injecting right in front of me. Oh, come on. And I watched her shoot up, I don't know, countless times, um, at least 20, and smoke crack. She learned how much of a grip the drugs had on her child. She saw how panicked Ashley would get without them. It's, it's a man drowning trying to get to a lifeboat. Like, that's the desperation that you have for thinking that I need this, I need to get this, you know, and I'll and go to your brain cost. is saying, get it for me, get yeah. it for me, get I'll it go to for any, me. This is what you need to live. This is air, you know. Now the whole family is working together to help Ashley stay clean and to learn how to save her with a syringe of naloxone if she should relapse. In most states now, you can pick up naloxone at your pharmacy, often without a personal prescription. A syringe and vial can cost around $15. But the FDA has approved two new, easier-to-use naloxone devices specifically for people with no medical training, a nasal spray and an auto-injector like an EpiPen that talks. If you are ready to use, pull off red safety guard. Problem is, they're way more expensive. The spray is $125. The injector, over $4,000. Injection complete. Drug companies jacking up the price of life-saving medications can seem arbitrary, cruel, and even scandalous. The infamous CEO Martin Shkreli hiked the price of Daraprim, a drug used by AIDS patients to fend off infections, from $13.50 to $750 for one pill. The company Mylan raised the cost of the EpiPen that reverses anaphylactic shock caused by allergies 500%, from $100 to $600. And now there's the case of Evzio. It's a talking auto-injector with naloxone, the antidote to reverse opioid overdoses. It's easy to use for people with no medical training. The actual drug, naloxone, can cost as little as a nickel a dose, according to industry insiders. But Evzio costs a lot more. Its price tag is over $4,000. What do you think about, in the midst of a crisis, shooting the price up like that? If you're out there trying to get as far and wide coverage for people and you watch the price escalate, it feels really predatory and it feels really uncaring. Can I have you guys help me? Dr. Jennifer Plum, who runs an organization that hands out naloxone in Utah. So it's a big, strong needle. Distributes syringes that cost the least, around $15 each. She says they're just as easy to use as the newer, pricier devices. 
we decided right, to try for ourselves. So, so hand me the syringe for one sec. Okay. All right. Here I'm trying to do this thinking mm -hmm. that I've got a body in front of me and that I'm a nervous wreck sure. and there's a lot of panic in me. Sure. So I've done that. Uh -huh. I pull this off, twist. Oh, okay. So Already I've messed up. No, I'm having a nervous See, that's okay though. Just pull. Okay. So you put this down somewhere. Exactly. And Right okay. through, yep. Then tip it up uh -huh. and move the needle below the airline. Yeah. And then, okay, now I'm having trouble. This is not as easy as you see. You don't saying. think? No, at least not for me. Next, we tried Narcan, the nasal spray. It costs much more than the syringe, $125 for a pack of two. You peel it, place it in the nose, and push it. Okay, all right. All right, so I pushed it way up the guy's nose mm -hmm. or the woman's nose mm -hmm. and I plunge. Oh, there you go. There you go. Now take into account that you might have to deal with a whole lot of yuck in a nose to be able to make that easy step. Then there's Evzio, by far the most expensive option. It's an auto injector that talks you through the process. Okay. To inject, place black end against outer thigh. I used a trainer without naloxone in it. There you go. Wow. So you get it. Easy I use is there. Really easy. I, th I think because a, something's talking to you, right. it's calming. You feel like you have advice. I can see why it's more expensive. Not as more expensive. I don't know. I bought a card that talks to me at Walmart for $1.49 yesterday. At $4,000 plus for a pack of two, even with discounts and donations, Evzio is completely out of budget for organizations like Dr. Plum's or for first responders who deal with drug addicts on the streets. But Evzio's maker has targeted a different at-risk population. It's the group, Dr. Plum says, that has the most overdose deaths in Utah. Picture who you think that person is today that someone's planning a funeral for. I picture a 22-year-old, jobless, shiftless, maybe homeless young man. Well, here's the demographics. It's me. It's 45 to 54-year-old women. That's who's most likely to die today in Utah. It's a fact that middle-aged women and men are a large, vulnerable population all across the country. They often die at home from misusing or abusing high-dose prescription pain pills. Also at risk are other household members with access to the medicine cabinet. I can tell you multiple stories of, of kids, of babies that come in not breathing babies. from accidental exposures in their homes. If you hang out with kids, they're oral explorers. I, I love them dearly, but they're buggers. They, <laughs> they get into everything, right? So doctors who prescribe opioids are now encouraged to prescribe naloxone at the same time. It's called co-prescribing and both the opioid and the antidote are supposed to be covered by insurance. That's the lucrative market FZO's maker, Kaleo, was going after. It priced the injector high to begin with, $575, and then bumped it up more than 550%. I began my job search the day after they announced the price hike because it was greedy and a little unethical in my opinion. We talked to over a dozen former Kaleo employees, including these two sales reps, in shadow for fear of being blackballed in the industry. 
you'd go into a doctor's office and try to convince him to write a prescription for this medication that has just jumped up to $4,000. How did the doctors react? The, the doctors, most of them were disgusted. And how did you feel? I felt slimy. I no longer felt like I'm helping people. Now I feel like I'm taking advantage of people. Now remember, we're talking about naloxone. Kaleo didn't invent or didn't discover naloxone. Right. Naloxone's been around for 50 years. And it's a generic at this point. It costs pennies. You know, just imagine if you took aspirin, been around forever, and you packaged it up in a fancy box and put a bow on there. The price went up after this man was hired by the company. Todd Smith, mm. who is he? He was a consultant for Cleo Pharmaceuticals, and he's been a consultant uh, and had other positions with other pharmaceutical companies, and he's kind of notorious for bringing this pricing strategy to those companies. So he had done this at other companies before yes. he got to Kaleo, this being hiking the price. Correct. Todd Smith wouldn't talk to us on camera, but here's his resume. While he was chief commercial officer at Horizon Pharma, this bottle of arthritis pills shot up from around $100 to over $1,000. At a company called Novum, he hiked up the price of this skin gel from around $200 to nearly $8,000. Kaleo was just another drug company he advised, only it was making a life-saving device in the middle of a worsening health crisis. You were called greedy, you were called uncaring, it was called profiteering, as you well know. This was the reputation so Leslie, you were getting. That could be nothing further from the truth. Meet Kaleo's CEO, Spencer Williamson. You jack the price from the 575 Leslie, I, to $4,000. $4,000. So Leslie, what? I, I don't love that word. We raised the price to improve access to this product. Okay, now that, explain that. Yeah, that That's hard a, to get your head around. The big misperception is that by raising the price of FZO, we reduce the access to this product. The exact opposite is true. More people are getting it at that price. Yeah, the numbers don't lie. So less than 5,000 prescriptions were filled in the first 12 months. In the second 12 months, over 65,000 prescriptions were filled. How can that be? Well, when Kaleo set the initial price at $575, it was warned that would be too high for middlemen called pharmacy benefit managers, or PBMs, that negotiate drug prices for health plans. Kaleo thought that its easy-to-use product would be irresistible in an escalating opioid crisis. But when it hit the market, Williamson says, the PBMs did try to discourage doctors from prescribing FZO, piling on cumbersome paperwork. A physician had to show that a patient had failed with another form of naloxone before they could get this product. If they failed, they'd be dead. Exactly. I mean, does that make sense? No. no. Were there other hindrances? Yes, the second hindrance, the, other, the second tool they use is high patient co-pays. So they make the patient pay a big number out of pocket. Here's, here's a scenario that played out many times. A patient goes into a pharmacy with their opioid prescription, and they go into the pharmacy with their, with their life-saving product. Co-prescribed. Co-prescribed. Opioid is prescribed, no problem, very low copay. This gets blocked. The life-saving product gets blocked. 
That's because there were less expensive alternatives, the syringe and then the nasal spray. So why didn't Kaleo just lower the price? Well, remember Todd Smith, the consultant? He advised them not to lower the price, but to raise it a lot and try to work around the roadblocks put up by pharmacy benefit managers. Under Smith's scheme, doctors unhappy with excessive paperwork are told to send prescriptions to specific pharmacies contracted to handle the forms for them. And these pharmacies mail the devices directly to the patient, making a trip to the drugstore unnecessary. Kaleo, meanwhile, tries to get as much money out of the insurance companies as it can. But the heart of Smith's model is that while insurance companies are charged a lot, patients with commercial insurance, well, they're charged nothing. If your plan agrees to cover it, Kaleo pays your copay. And if your plan refuses, Kaleo will give you FZO 100% free. Are you saying that, that if your insurance company won't pay or they jack up the copay, that you'll pay so patients don't pay anything? We will step in and make sure a patient pays nothing out of pocket. That's correct. How can they afford that? The calculation is that even if only a handful of insurance companies agree to pay the high price, Kaleo would still rake in a lot of money since it costs only about $80 to manufacture a pack of two. This whole idea was described to us as, and I'm quoting, a legal shell game to bilk insurance companies. Screw it, yes. And eventually then to built the rest of us. Don't we end it, up... Ultimately, it, it raises it will. the overall health care yeah. cost for everybody. Mm -hmm. You and I, paying our premiums, are the ones paying for it. If you think the insurance company is going to be stuck with this bill uh, in the long run, no. You and I are stuck with the bill in another way, as taxpayers. Turns out the bulk of Kaleo's revenue for Evzio comes not from commercial insurance companies, but from Medicare. This report, to be released tomorrow by the Senate Permanent Subcommittee on Investigations, led by Senators Rob Portman and Tom Carper, details how Kaleo made sure that doctors signed forms for Medicare patients indicating that FZO was medically necessary. With that language, Medicare has essentially no choice but to cover the device at near full price. That resulted in more than $142 million in charges to taxpayers in just the last four years. The report says Kaleo not only exploits a country in the middle of an opioid crisis, but also American taxpayers. Accusations Kaleo denies. And you make a profit. <laughs> you make a profit? So we've actually lost money in our first four years of bringing this product to the market. The good news is we're saving lives more people have access to this product. Why are you doing it if you're not making a profit? We're moving in a direction with a model that continues to evolve. It seems to be evolving in the direction of scrapping the high price plan altogether. Whether it's because the model failed to produce a profit or because they're under Senate investigation for, as the report lays out, exploiting Medicare. Williamson took the opportunity of our interview to make this offer. We want to reach out to all middlemen, all insurance companies, to say we will 
lower this price to less than the original 575 if you will make sure that when a physician decides a patient is at risk, they can get it and they can afford it. But all the insurance companies have to agree for you to get there. We will work with one insurance company at a time. Have you done it yet? We have started those conversations, but I'm announcing it on 60 Minutes that our hands are out to offer this price for less than 575 as long as patients won't be blocked when they need it. In football circles, Tim Green has always been known as a renaissance man. He was an all-American defensive lineman at Syracuse University and an English major who graduated magna cum laude. He spent eight years sacking quarterbacks for the Atlanta Falcons and picked up a law degree in his spare time. And during a decade in the broadcast booth for Fox Sports, he started writing books. Six became bestsellers. Then two months ago, the man who seemed to be able to do anything sent us news he could no longer hide. He's suffering from ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, one of a growing number of NFL players to receive that diagnosis. His body is starting to fail, and his voice has lost its timbre. But his story now is even more compelling than it was when we first met him back in 1996 upon the publication of his football memoir, The Dark Side of the Game. You cannot go through an NFL season without doing serious damage to your body. 22 years later, Tim Green spent this fall as he has most falls, on the football field, coaching the young skinny Atlas Lakers. He wasn't able to march up and down the sidelines or yell out instructions the way he used to. Watch outside. But he was still out there encouraging his players, most of whom had little idea what their coach is facing. When did you first realize that there was something wrong? It was a small thing. I couldn't uh, use my nail clipper. Nail clipper? Yeah, I couldn't do that. And then it got hard to open things. Tim Green didn't make much of it then, just a few more battle scars from his days in the NFL. The first time we met him, he told us he had a lot of them. I have enough aches and pains to know that I played the game. He was three years removed from a playing career in which he roamed the field like a predator, first in college at Syracuse, and then as number 99 with the NFL's Atlanta Falcons. He was a vicious tackler and a voracious reader, a man who devoured war and peace in the locker room before going into battle. In retirement, he kept his body fit and his mind sharp by writing novels for young and old at the upstate New York home that he shared with his wife and children. But by the summer of 2016, at age 52, he finally admitted to his son Troy that he felt something was off. He was saying to me, you know, my hands, you know, it's getting hard for me to hold the weight. And I would make a joke, oh, you're getting old. Tim decided to see a prominent hand surgeon. And he looked, he said, I think you have ALS. I said, no, I don't. That same day, he went straight to Mount Sinai Hospital in New York City to meet with a neurologist. And, you know, 
What did he tell you? He basically said you know, that the end is near. You better get your affairs in order. Not what you wanted to hear. ALS, the three letters he didn't want to hear, stands for amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, a rare disease that New York Yankee legend Lou Gehrig gave a name and a face to 80 years ago and that recently claimed the life of physicist Dr. Stephen Hawking. It destroys the nerves that move muscles, eventually making it impossible to walk, speak, or breathe. Tim understood that he had been given a death sentence. He also had no interest in doctors, treatments, or sympathy. I said, we're not talking about it. It was almost taboo. Even, even around the house, no one, we wouldn't talk about it, we wouldn't address it. It was just kind of like the elephant in the room. Were you in denial? No. I knew I had it. You didn't want to waste any time thinking about it. You just wanted to live. Exactly. Most ALS patients are given two to five years to live. And Tim Green wanted to enjoy whatever time he had left with his five kids and wife of 29 years in the beautiful town of Scaniatlas, which sits at the top of one of New York's Finger Lakes. Life can never long enough. Life can never be long enough. Few outside Tim's family knew of the diagnosis. He continued making public appearances. Tim Green and Derek Jeters. Like this one in March 2017 on CBS This Morning, alongside Derek Jeter. They were promoting their collaboration on a baseball book for middle school kids. There's so much rich uh, messages in the story. Difficult to tell that there was anything wrong with you. I could still enunciate my words more clearly, uh, but that was a year and a half ago. Tim's condition began deteriorating in the months after that appearance. His family finally convinced him to see a neurologist in Boston. He was examined by Dr. Merit Sukovich, the director of the Healy Center for ALS at Massachusetts General Hospital. What's Tim's prognosis? He has a, one of the better prognoses because he has a slower form. However, everybody with ALS has a serious prognosis. It is today a fatal disease. And there's no cure? There's no cure today. But there are some treatments, and there's a lot of advances in science and a lot of hope for our patients. Dr. Sukovich put Green on a new treatment that can slow the progression of ALS by a third. He says he's noticed a difference. Your mood is okay? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. No one knows exactly what causes ALS. In Tim Green's case, head trauma is a leading suspect. Scientists caution that the data linking football to the disease is not conclusive, but the NFL concussion settlement specifically covers ALS, and Tim Green believes there's a connection. How much of this do you think has to do with football? I think probably a lot, if not all. 
He says he lost track of the number of concussions he suffered playing football. He stopped counting after 10. I used my head on every play. Every play, every snap. It was like throwing myself head first into a concrete wall. Did you ever think about it while you were playing? No, no. He even used his head to celebrate on the field. At the time, he says no one was concerned about possible brain damage. During his NFL career in the late 80s and early 90s, preseason practices were particularly brutal. Tim's wife, Alyssa, remembers the pounding he took. His head was so swollen, he would, would have to put Vaseline all over his head to get his helmet on. Practice was much worse than night games. And you didn't go easy in practice? No. No, I was nuts. <laughs> you seem like such a mild-mannered guy. <laughs> I am. I am. But not on a football field. No, no. When we interviewed Tim Green in 1996, oh, yeah. he addressed the violence and risks inherent in the game and seemed to believe that this day might come. You said, I think guys would be willing to take 10, 20 years off the end of their lives in order to get out there on Sunday and play. I don't think that the, the consideration of your physical well-being in the future is in the forefront of any NFL player's mind. Right. I stand by that. I've maybe taken that much off the end of my life, maybe more. I don't know. You don't have any regrets? No. To fully understand, he says, you have to know what it was like being out there, doing something you dreamed of, and experiencing, even for a moment, the intensity of 60,000 people screaming for you and your teammates, and feeling that energy through every pore in your body. It was as magical and wonderful as I dreamed it would be. Tim Green believes if his football career had started 30 years later, he might not be fighting for his life today. New NFL rules have drastically cut back helmet-to-helmet contact in practice, and it's penalized in games. He follows those guidelines with the youth team he coaches, limiting contact during practices. His 12-year-old son, Ty, is the team's star quarterback. Tim doesn't want him to play defense. The trophies from his NFL career fill his office, but instead of mounted heads of lions, tigers, and bears, there are pictures of the big game quarterbacks he's brought down. Joe Montana. Yeah, number 16. Yeah. 49ers. It was the king back then. Yeah. And that is Dan Marino. Yeah. (laughs) I like that. (laughs) Best time of your life? No. Best time of my life is right now. Right now? Yeah. Why? I have everything. Tim Green was adopted, so everything to him means family. How are you? 
The Greens all live in the same neighborhood, and they eat dinner together five nights a week. He works out with his sons almost every day at his home gym to keep his muscles functioning. The kids say their dad's not going to quit. He'll never give up. I don't think I've ever seen that in his yeah. never. things he does, is give up. It's never he doesn't give up in tic-tac-toe. He's like, <laughs> yeah. I don't think about what I can't do. And you could still write. Yeah. I can write. And, you know, that opens up a whole universe. Writing offers him an escape from his illness. He's authored 38 books overall, four since his diagnosis. He wrote the last one on his smartphone using his thumbs, all 300 pages. So this is a new book? Yeah, yeah. His thumbs no longer work that well, but his mind is just fine. He's using technology to forge ahead with book number 39. Oh, that's a there's a sensor in his glasses that he can move to lock on letters on his keyboard. He then clicks on a mouse and words are formed letter by letter. How far along are you on this, this book? I'm about halfway. He's a little behind schedule, the first deadline he's ever missed. I apologize <laughs> to my editor. I think your editor understands. She did, yeah. More scientists than ever are trying to unlock the mystery of ALS and its causes, but it's still an underfunded disease. This is kind of what the website looked like. That's why Tim and his family are starting a social media campaign called Tackle ALS to raise money for research. Current and former NFL stars Matt Ryan. Let's beat this. Von Miller. Let's beat this. And Brett Favre. Let's beat this. Have all joined the team. But Tim understands that he may not be around to see the benefits. In the time he has left, however long that may be, he's content to enjoy the power of his boat and the company of his family. He just feels blessed for who he was and what he has. People would say, Tim, God bless you. And I'd say, he already has. In the mail this week, comments on last Sunday's three stories. Steve Croft looked at a European law protecting privacy rights from Internet companies. Do people really think that Facebook and Google are just letting us use their services for free because they're nice? Of course they're collecting our data. If you don't like it, don't use it. Bill Whitaker's visit to the tunnels at the bottom of a South African gold mine proved nearly too vivid for a Florida viewer. So well done that I almost had to turn it off because I'm claustrophobic. And then there was Sharon Alfonsi's portrait of football's Griffin twins and their pact to remain together as teammates. Thanks. We needed that. I'm Leslie Stahl. We'll be back next week with another edition of 60 Minutes, and happy Thanksgiving. <laughs>